Hello, and welcome to the Stop Devaluation Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the Stop Devaluation Movement, Melody Hilton. The heart of this movement is to see the value in all of humanity and live courageous lifestyles of using our power for good instead of harm. We can affect change by choosing validation over judgment, and I hope you'll take your place and make a positive impact in this world. My heart through the Stop Devaluation movement is to see courageous voices confront the epidemic of prejudice and build bridges across the divides through validation. And today I have the honor to interview Dr. Jason Otley, who is courageously lifting his voice. Thank you so much, Jason. I am so honored that you have joined me today. Melody, thank you for having me again. I was super stoked and excited the first time you brought me on. Now I'm not even sure how to contain myself the second time. Oh, that is awesome. We've got to keep doing this. (laughs) Uh, Because, Jason, you continue to dedicate your life to create a culture of equity. And what are some of the harsh realities that you have witnessed that have compelled you to make a difference? There's probably, I'm trying to sit here and think, Melody about those harsh realities because you know so many come to mind it's almost like a collage like I'm looking at Mm. the wall and this picture of my life and I'm able to see like these images right and so one of the first images that just popped in my head was 9-11 I remember being in my college dorm and um, television was on I was studying for an exam that I had probably in in a half an hour and I was cramming because I should have studied more the week before, right? And television was just flooded with these, you know, updates about the uh, 9-11 attacks. And it just Mm. took me back. Um, And in that moment, uh, I froze and really didn't even know what to do, thinking about my family who was in New York, wondering, um, did I have any uh, friends and family who worked um, in those buildings? Like trying to jog my memory, couldn't remember, knowing that most of my family were in Jamaica, Queens, and in Brooklyn, but still thinking, well, who could be in Manhattan? Wow. Uh, and so that one stands out particularly um, as being a very jarring experience and then not knowing uh, what to do. And I think the second one that just comes to mind visually is the recession in 2008. Mm. You know, we talk about that uh, because it's almost been 10 years now that we have the coronavirus. It's been 10 years since we've had anything huge and majorly impact uh, our nation uh, since the recession. And I remember where I was at that point. It was, you know, sadly, I was not working. I just lost my job um, to budget cuts. And then the recession hit. And for nine months, luckily, I was able to apply uh, for unemployment. But I'm just thinking back to those moments of, you know, living off of on unemployment for nine months, had never been on unemployment before. Wow. Um, and then really just kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. I knew the recession would be over at some point. So it was a, a moment to insulate my isolation. And I was reading tons of books. And I tell you, Melody, after those nine months, I really believe that my life took a 
a huge turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just become more passionate about things that I had never really thought about or considered. Uh, and I just think that moments like that, 9-11, you know, uh, the recession, now the coronavirus really stops and makes us pause and reevaluate uh, our lives yes. and think about what's most important. Yes. And so, you know, those, those harsh realities, you know, come to my mental collage as you ask that question. It's almost like defining moments in our life that help give our life's trajectory a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You founded the Bond Educational Group, which is a nonprofit organization. Tell us about its vision and its mission. You know, so the vision for the Bond Educational Group is to work alongside uh, teachers and administrators who are um, serving students of all communities, but particularly communities of color. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not a surprise uh, to the nation to know that many um, of our school systems, school districts, that uh, have a lack of resources, a lack of teachers, a lack of funding are uh, in our uh, inner city uh, school districts or in our rural school districts. And many of those school districts are highly populated with students of color. Mm-hmm. And so the Bond Educational Group was uh, formed and it is designed to work alongside teachers and administrators to provide them uh, a race equity lens, to provide them a, uh, a culturally relevant pedagogy lens, uh, to provide them a lens of best practices Mm -hmm. uh, around um, teaching uh, and mentoring and serving students of color. Then we also have a student component as well, because I believe that, yes, we can help the teachers and administrators um, provide um, more opportunities for students of color and rewrite policy that has been written hundreds of years ago. Wow. But it's important to work alongside students as well to give them um, some of the soft skills that they need to be able to navigate the world beyond high school. Uh, Some of those skills being, you know, uh, resilience and um, goal setting and identity, racial identity specifically, uh, collaborating and working well with others and uh, advocating for oneself and confidence. And so we believe that not only working with teachers and administrators is important, but it's vital for us to work with students as well. So what keeps you motivated to keep doing this work? You know, motivation, um, you know, it's funny you ask that, you know, for me, motivation, um, I'm energized by people, Mm. right? So I've got to be around people um, who are excited and passionate about this work um and and let me pause parenthetically and say not just this work but they're excited and passionate about something Mm. (laughs) it's something about being around people who are just excited and passionate about life it it rejuvenates and rekindles some of the quiet spaces in our own life and so um i'm intentional about uh, my inner circle Uh, my inner circle is not comprised of complainers and not comprised of doubters and not comprised of people who uh, are pessimistic. The inner circle is a very small group of folks who 
are, you know, intensely optimistic and, you know, and can see something coming out of nothing. Um, and so that's one area. But uh, the other area is uh, I'm, an, I'm an introvert, um, but I do thrive off energy of others. But it, into, it, it has its moments. I need it all the time. But as an introvert, I read a lot. And so I am motivated by the minds of um, some of these great and esteemed authors. Yes. Uh, they have become mentors yes. to me, Melody, that I've never met and may not ever meet. And that's fine. But after I read their book or a few of their books that they write, I really genuinely feel connected to these individuals as if I could pick the phone up and have a conversation. So those are the two things that keep me motivated. That is so powerful. Now I know why we're such kindred spirits, because everything you just said, uh, you said it so eloquently, but oh, that so resonates in my heart, because there are basically three relationships we all need to grow and advance. And one of those are mentors people speaking into our lives. And it might be those books. Secondly, it is people we partner with, like we're doing today. And thirdly, it's those that we mentor, those that we invest our life into. And so if there's that amazing exchange of life taking place, we're all growing, we're all advancing, we are all making a difference in our world. Oh, that is awesome, Jason. So tell me, yeah. what are some of the tools we need to use to build this bridge from where we are now to where we need to be? You know, the, tool, the, the tools are a conversation that um, I'm certainly encouraging um, these esteemed authors to begin writing about. I think that we have read more recently books uh, and have listened to podcasts and have watched webinar series about where we should be, right? Mm -hmm. We know, you know, 400 years of slavery has really um, marginalized the black community uh, in America. And um, we know that it should look different. And we know that mm -hmm. the inequities that black communities and brown communities face um, should be on a more um, equal playing field than uh, many of our, our white peers. And we, we know those inequities exist, but I don't think that we have yet figured out what the tools are to build those bridges from inequality to equality. And I think the reason being, Melody, is because we've not seen it done before. Mm. When we've come close to uh, having the the tools, or even building the bridges, it seems like construction on those bridges has come to a halt way too soon. I think about the death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and how he was on the, uh, the breaking point of helping to unite uh, all races in America. He was on to something and his life was taken too soon. I think about President John F. Kennedy and all the work that he was doing related to racial equality and segregation, and then his life was also taken. So it's interesting that when we find these champions and pioneers in life to, who are, are undergoing the uh, 
the movement or the trek in designing what uh, the tools look like, how to build the bridge, uh, it seems like it comes to an abrupt halt uh, for some reason. And then we end up having to start all, all over again. And so I, I think that's where we are now. I think we are picking up some of these pieces and trying to start over again. And I, in my own mind, think that some of the tools that we need is a, a rewrite of some of the policies uh, that are in place that govern the way uh, that we function as a society. Uh, we could look at policies and see that these policies are um, pervasive for uh, many of uh, our white peers, but they don't always assist uh, communities of color. And so I think that if we start to rewrite some of these policies, I think that's a great place to start. I, I do believe we've come a long way. I love the, the fact that I see corporate America and I see um, institutions of higher education doing more around um, diversity, around inclusion, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and around access. Um, so I applaud those, uh, those foundational organizations for doing those things. Uh, however, I think that we have a, a long way to go. And just because we adopt um, new initiatives and create new programs that um, are inclusive and more diverse, if we don't get to the root of the problem, which is the policies that are in place, and sometimes the root of the problem are the people in positions of power. There you go. Um, we need to also diversify those individuals as well. So if I have to just throw things out as to where we could begin making those shifts, I think policy and then bringing uh, diverse voices, diverse cultures, races, ethnicities to the table who have a voice of power uh, and positionality and not just a token at the table. May I throw my voice in there a little bit on that one? Please. Yeah, uh, please do. I, I agree 100%, but my heart is that those who make the policies would not do it for the sake of a policy, but from a heart of validation, from really caring, really uh, adjusting their mindsets and their beliefs and their attitudes to value every single human being, just to be in that place where the heart is right and the beliefs are right and the mindsets uh, align with validation. So when those policies are made, it's not just a, a program, it's not just legislation, but it's from a heart that has the power mm. to truly make a difference. Because now I'm not legislating actions, but it's from a heart that's already in the right place. And that is the cry of my heart. Because I can do a lot of things, but if my heart is not in it, it'll never come out right. It, it, it'll never look like we want it to look. But if the heart of the one bringing the legislation and bringing the programs and then those that are working and, and, and building those programs have the right heart, then we've not just touched a person's life in action, 
but we've touched the core of their uh, humanity and their need to be loved and valued and celebrated. And that's going to unleash those soft skills that you talked about, because now that person is able to release the treasure inside of them, the creativity inside of them. And I might cut all this out because this isn't my interview, but that is like my driving force. Because if we can touch those in spheres of influence that have the power and they use their power for the good of others, not use people to gain their power, my goodness, our world can begin to shift. And then all those policies, everything you just said are going to have a huge impact because it's motivated by people who truly have a heart to make a difference. Yeah, I think you keep it in there. I love it. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Having uh, a heart for people yes, and not just uh, having a heart to um, to validate and bring more value to your own community, right? Because we, we look at how our lives could be better. So these folks who are in positions of power who have um, abilities to make uh, great decisions and impact lots of people, uh, the lens they look through oftentimes is the lens in their own community. How can I make my own community better? Mm-hmm. Uh, but until we, we actually spend intentional time in the communities of other people, do we not necessarily know how our decisions can impact all? That's right. And that's what one of the things I tell my um, pre-service uh, teachers, you know, it's important that your experience in um, the classroom when you're observing and then when you're doing your student teaching is not just in one area. You don't want to just be in a suburban area or an inner city or a rural area or around uh, a homogenous culture and race, but you want to diversify it so that you become empathetic to the lives of all people. Melody, it's almost impossible to become empathetic to the lives of all people unless you spent time with all people. Oh, oh, yes. I I can become empathetic to um, the lives of those who live in the country and in rural areas even though I was raised in an inner city because my parents moved us to West Virginia when I was young to get us out of Washington, D.C. at the time. And so when I think about how we can help bring change, and I'm in the classroom with my students, I'm not just thinking about students who had my experience, the Mm -hmm. inner city experience. I'm also thinking, you know what? I've had the privilege of living in the suburbs for a short time. And both of the privilege of living in a very rural environment. And so for me, my lens is, hold on, I know what in a city looks like, what rural area looks like, and what suburban area looks like. Yes. So I am able to be empathetic in all of those spaces. And I think that's what is important for folks who have a decision-making power, to be empathetic about those decisions after thinking about how this affects all people. Exactly. So good. To be a part of the solution, we must first become aware. 
That means we need to take time to open up our hearts to understand uh, a person's life, their heart, their experience, and get in their world because we truly do care for them. And then from that place of understanding, then we can respond appropriately. But the fact is, if we don't take time to understand, we will be critical of what we do not understand. But the moment we understand criticalness and judgment and bias and all that stuff flies out the window because now I've connected to the heart. I understand where someone has come from. Maybe I can't relate to it because it wasn't my experiential reality, but I can have empathy and I can value and I can make an investment. And the fact is, uh, Jason, we are better together than we are separate. Because my perspective is my perspective, but my perspective is not the whole perspective. And when the two of us get together, we start seeing things different and our world gets a whole lot bigger, but our impact gets a whole lot bigger as well. So really, everything you've just said is positioning our young generation to have a better future than what yes. uh, the adult or the leaders of this generation are now experiencing. We can change the future of a nation. I'm convinced of it. So let me ask you another question, Jason. Uh, just separate from your life's work, I want to hear what you believe that every person can do how they can be a part of the solution, no matter what their age, no matter what their race or their cultural background, what mindset is necessary for them to carry so that they can take the right actions to be a voice of healing, to impact the generation that you so desperately want to touch and to impact our nation for good. What, what are some things that you believe each person needs to take personal responsibility for? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think that a, a lot of the change really starts at home, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when you think about who goes to professional development uh, conferences or who goes to these workshops and seminars and part of these series on, uh, on change and development and self-improvement, right? It's probably a very small percentage. Yeah. Uh, of the U.S. Um, but I think about the influence that all of us have. And all of us have an influence in our own homes. Yes. And I believe that it, that's where it starts. Our home is, is also uh, adjacent to our communities. Um, so communities could also be your, your church. If you attend church, it could be um, your sororities or fraternities. It could also be organizations that you're a part of. Um, you're part of your a homeowner association, so many different communities that we are within walking distance of and maybe a few short miles of. And I think that that's where it begins. And so when we have this eye-opening, enlightening experience, many times, uh, Melody, I've found that my students tend to keep those moments within themselves until they're around other people who believe the same thing that they believe. Oh, that's good. We're not a, we're not a nation that really likes conflict. Um, we look at conflict as being negative, but sometimes conflict helps us to overcome yes. our own challenges and obstacles and helps us to remove the blinders 
from my own eyes. And so I encourage my students to have these new enlightening conversations at home. And so many of them have come back after Thanksgiving when they go home for the first time in their fall semester and they talk about, hey, Dr. Ali, I sat down and had a conversation with my family over dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, about what it means to be anti-racist. They didn't quite understand. They thought that what I was learning in college was crazy and the college was brainwashing me. And so it kind of caused me to not want to talk about it and to only discuss it when I'm around people who get it. Wow. And so I encouraged my students to say, hey, you just have to keep on because that is the community um, that you have the most influence. Your sphere of influence is in that community. And although you may not have been um, heard the first time, uh, it doesn't mean that you won't be heard the second or the third or the fourth. And you have to gain the confidence that you will be heard and that the what you're discussing are seeds. You're planting seeds. Yes. And, you know, I grew up in a very spiritual household, and I'm thinking about seeds, Melody. And my mother used to say that, you know, one planteth and, you know, one soweth, but, you know, only God will bring the increase. Mm-hmm. So I recognize that even even those who, who sow seeds, they may not, not see the, the seed germinating in their time. Um, but it's important to sow the seed. So I just tell my students, continue sowing seeds in your own communities, um, in your own organizations, uh, because that's the way that we see change on a, on a macro level. Yes. That is so good. And it is so true because each of us have a sphere of influence and each of us can take the responsibility to begin to model the way. Whether other people agree or disagree, when we begin to demonstrate something before them, they start seeing something that maybe they didn't see before. And in one organization I lead, uh, we developed a code of conduct. And it was, this is what is or is not acceptable in this organization. One of those things is, we are a prejudice-free zone. We are a Mm. gossip-free zone. We want to confront anything that would separate and divide and devalue. And what has taken place is the whole organization is thriving around a place of safety because no one's going to judge me. No one is going to be critical of me, but they're going to love me unconditionally and then help me grow. I love how you desire to develop the soft skills in a generation. Because it's not just our skills, uh, our, our competencies, but it is our ability to apply the heart, the soft skills, the character, the emotional intelligence, uh, the leadership aptitude to model the way so that others can see what it looks like. Because not everyone has seen the healthy way of living and loving and leading. Yeah, that's 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 deep. I like that. Thank you so much, Jason. Is there anything else you just feel compelled to communicate before we close out the interview? Uh, no. You you know what? Every time you know we get a chance to talk, Melody, I feel like you you dive deeper into like who I am and what you know what makes me tick. Um, 
And so I always leave the conversations like completely full, like, wow, like this is, this has been an experience. Um, so I'm just appreciative of you of pulling things out of me that sit there. And sometimes I don't even know that they're there until we talk about them. So thank you. Well, you are very, very welcome because I received so much from you. I really value this relationship. We've never met in person, but I feel we're just so connected in heart, connected in purpose, and connected in vision. You doing it a unique way, me doing it a, another way, but yet it's still heading towards the same goal of impacting a generation and impacting a nation for good. Thank you so much, Jason. I value you deeply. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to thank you for listening and encourage you to become a part of the Stop Devaluation Movement. Be sure to like and follow hashtag Stop Devaluation on social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and visit StopDevaluation.com for more information and free resources. You can help spread the movement by sharing with others, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and most of all, by living a courageous lifestyle of using your power for good. Go out and value someone today. Your life matters and you can make the world a better place. One word, one choice, one action of validation at a time.